Welcome to the Rocky Valley Podcast. This is Pastor Jason Moe. We're glad you stopped in to have a listen, and we hope that this blesses you in some way.
come forward and receive our evening offering, please. I won't by a show of hands, how many of you know this next song? God leads us along. Anybody remember that one? Because the choir didn't know it until tonight either. But they learned it really quick. Will you stand, choir, and help us sing? In shady green pastures, so rich and so sweet, God leads his dear children along. so sweet, God leads his dear children along, where the water's cool flow bathes the weary one's feet, God leads his dear children along, some through the waters, some Oh, God. 
Selfishly, I asked Mama to play piano today, Brother Mo. And I've enjoyed having her on the piano this today. But there was one stipulation. So you're getting to preach on boastfulness, right? All right, well, you'll probably knock my feet right out from under me in your sermon. But the one condition was I had to sing Mama's favorite song on Sunday night. So no more night. I hope you receive a blessing from it. The timeless theme Earth and heaven will pass away It's not a dream God will make all things new From which I stumbled and fell Evil is banished To eternal hell No more night No more pain No more tears Never crying as to 
the great I am. We will live in the light of the The nations bow down to sing. The only sound is the praises to Christ our King. Slowly the names from the book are read. I know the King, and there is no need to. prepared for me where I can live with my Savior eternally no more night no more pain no more tears never crying again praises to the great I am we will live in the light of the risen Lamb sing praises to the great I am that's what it takes to get mama to come and play we can just make that the call to worship every Sunday that's fine with me matter of fact mama if it's required I'll sing it if that's if that's what we need now y'all have never even heard me sing that song and you've already decided Amen. Let's go home. If I, if I had any feelings, you just heard them right then. 
James chapter 4. James chapter 4, verse 13 through 17. Watch your boasting. Watch your boasting. And we come to a section here in James, and really it's the culmination of a chapter that really has challenged us from the writing of Brother James. Uh, Really, if we're being honest with ourselves, I would think that that the whole book from James 1, beginning in about the second verse, when you get past the introduction, all the way through the end of chapter 5, the entire book of James if we're being honest, is pretty challenging to us as believers. James does a very good job throughout challenging us to examine ourselves and essentially giving us a series of tests that ask us to look at our lives and ask ourselves, how are we living? Am I living as a believer ought to? And if I'm not, then why? Why am I not doing these things? If I'm not living to the challenges that James has laid out beginning in chapter 1 verse 2 and running throughout the entire book, if I am not living the way I ought to be living, I need to ask myself, why am I not living that way? And then really at the end of chapter 3, James, in my opinion, starts to get particularly challenging as he begins to question our decision making and, and challenge where our wisdom is rooted. And he asks us to consider the way we make our decisions and ask, are we rooted in godly wisdom or are we rooted in worldly wisdom? Chapter 4, James started to ask us about our quarrels and our fights and how we interact with one another. And in those first 12 verses, James essentially asked us this question, are you a friend of God or are you a friend of the world? Are you a friend of God or are you a friend of the world? Do you live in light of godly wisdom or worldly wisdom in your life? And these last few verses are going to really bring that to a culmination. And it's about living in the will of God. Letting the will of God govern your life. So please stand this evening as we honor the reading of the holy words of our holy God from James chapter 4 beginning in verse 13 and running through the end of the chapter. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell, and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. Now you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for this day. God, we thank you for dwelling among us this morning as we looked at the peace in Christ alone. We thank you for allowing us to sing praises to your name this evening. God, we thank you for your spirit's presence and moving in our lives. God, we take not for granted that anything done tonight that glorifies you is a gift from you, God. And so, God, we pray that you would do just that. 
honor us this evening by allowing us to continue in worship because you're worthy. Let everything we say and do glorify you that we would magnify your name and your name alone. And it is in your precious name that we do pray, Jesus, and all of God's people said, and you may be seated. I might venture to say that in the test of faith that is really the entire book of James, one of the more practical ways to characterize a true believer is this. A believer, a true believer, will have a desire to do the will of God. Now, that doesn't mean we'll always get it done. doesn't mean that a true believer will always get the will of God done. It doesn't mean that a true believer will always discern it and do it perfectly in perfect timing. But a true believer will always have a desire to do the will of God. And not only will have a strong desire to do the will of God, but will have a, a sense of angst or a sense of shame when they're unable to do the will of God or when they fail to do what they know to be the will of God. Psalms 40 verse 8 says, I delight to do thy will, O my God, yes, thy law is written in my heart. And we have several other verses that we could reference on this topic for the sake of time. Well, we'll just look at what I believe is our best example, and that's from Jesus in the Gospel of John chapter 5 when he says, I come to this world to do the will of the Father. And so in our most supreme example, Jesus Christ shows us that even when he walked upon this earth, his supreme desire, his strongest will was to do that of which the Father commanded him to do. He wanted to do God's will. Now, I realize that Christ's obedience was perfect and that our obedience is imperfect and that we failed and Christ never failed in fulfilling the will of God. But I do believe that a believer, a true mark of a true believer will be a sincere desire, even in their imperfection, to do the will of God in their lives. And James closes out this chapter saying to us, that doing the will of God is a supreme test of our faith. A supreme test of our faith. Now, as we've traveled through James 4, we saw that at the root of our conflict was pride. We saw that pride was the ugly sin at the root of our worldliness. We saw that pride was the nasty sin at the root of our slander and the way we talk about others. And tonight, I believe that we're going to see that the root of not living and obeying the will of God is our pride. We're going to see through these examples in James a few attitudes towards the will of God that we will have. There are four things we're going to look at as far as the attitudes towards the will of God. And the first one we're going to look at is a foolishness of ignoring the will of God. There are some people that just flat ignore the will of God or live as if God does not even exist. The thoughts of God or the will of God do not even occupy their decisions. They don't, they don't even bring God's will into play as they begin to make decisions. And we see one such attitude introduced in verse 13. Now at the start of verse 13, James says, come now. And those two words... You might say that, that what James is doing is, is getting their attention with those two words. Come now. Listen up. I want you to hear this. Hearken unto what I'm about to say. James is really calling their attention. It would be 
Uh, like during a sermon, in the, you know, during a morning sermon, as we're two points into a four-point sermon, and I look out in the congregation, and I see some sleepy eyes, but I know I'm fixing to say something that I want to make sure that you get. And I might say something all right, like, all right, now sit up straight and listen close. Because I want to make sure that in the midst of all these things I'm saying, you get what I'm about to say. And that's really what James is doing in chapter 4 here. He realizes that he's given him a laundry list of things to look at. And he's coming to this point and he's saying, come now. I realize I've challenged you. I realize that I've made you look at some things. But I don't want you to gloss over what I'm about to say. Now come on, listen up, sit up straight, give me your ears, pay attention to the words I'm about to say. Because they are of supreme importance to the way you live your life. And he's wanting us to acknowledge and hear what he is writing. Come now. And then he says, you who say, or, or you who are actively saying, you who are living your life in this way, I want you to listen up. He's saying you're like a merchant or businessman. What's he say? Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we'll go to such and such a city and spend a year there and buy and we'll sell and we will make a profit and so the merchant that he's talking about in this verse, that's a hypothetical merchant, but he's saying, this guy's saying, well, I'm going to go there, I'm going to spend a year there, I'm going to make some money. And this picture is typical in that time because merchants were travelers in that time. They would go from city to city and they would make sales and they would make trades. And so this businessman that's being referenced here in verse 13 is a guy that seems to have it all figured out. The, the audience that was reading this letter would have related well as they had seen many such merchants come and go through their cities. You might even say that these merchants' successes made them feel like they were able to, to make their plans. You know, they look, look what he chooses. He chooses the timing, doesn't he? This merchant says today or tomorrow. He, he says, this is when I'm going to go do it. This is, this is when this is going to happen. He chooses his own location. He says, this is, this is when I'm going to go, and this, well, such a city, this is where I'm going to go. Chooses his timetable, doesn't he? He says, I'm going to stay there a year. Chooses his operation when he gets there. He's going to do business, right? Spend a year there and buy and sell. And he even, he even chooses his own objective. I'm going to make a profit. Now, I'd say this guy's got it all figured out, doesn't he? I'm going to go, and this is where I'm going to go to. I'm going I'm to go on this day. This is the town I'm going to. When I get there, I'm going to sell some things. I'm going to do about a year's worth of work, and I am going to turn a profit. And then I'm going to move on to my next endeavor. Now, I want to be clear. James is not saying, and nor am I saying this morning, that a businessman ought not plan. In fact... I might even say that a businessman probably needs to have a plan in order to succeed. I might even say that, that even in our churches quite often, a lot of times the reason that we don't reach the lost is because we don't have a plan for how we're going to reach the lost. We're not intentional about it. So James is not saying here, don't make a plan and fly by the seat of your britches. That's not what he's saying at all. That doesn't make any sense. The issue here really isn't that there is a plan 
The issue is not even what's in the plan. The issue is not that he's saying, I'm going to go to a town and I'm going to buy and sell for a year and I'm going to make money. James is not writing here telling us that going to a town and making money is sinful. That's not what James is talking about. But I I want you to realize that what what I'm trying to tell you is James is not pointing out the things that are there. Instead, we're looking at what's not written. Who is not mentioned in the merchant's plan in any way? Somebody tell me in verse 13. Who's missing? God. The merchant has no regard for the will of God in his life. He has no thought for God's part in the plan. It is as though God doesn't exist. God's will in the plan is not important. It doesn't matter. And and essentially, he's living as a practical atheist. God doesn't exist. I don't need to include God in my plans. I can have a foolish ignorance for the will of God because my plan is what we're going to do. I don't need to worry about God's plan. And you know that sometimes as believers, people that claim to believe in God, people that claim to be Christians make their decisions in a practical atheism without any reference to the Word of God or the will of God in their lives. And James here is telling us that's one of the tests of our faith. Do we live in regard to God's will or do we plan as if God doesn't exist? Now look with me quickly as I point out just a few reasons why it's pretty foolish to plan as if God's will is not important. Look in verse 14, he says what? Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Right there at the beginning of verse 14, we see one reason that it's foolish to plan without regard for the will of God is that we are ignorant to what's coming. We don't have any way of knowing what is coming. So how in the world can we think to plan out for tomorrow when we don't know what tomorrow is going to bring? We have no clue what's going to happen tomorrow. Weathermen are only right sometimes. And they get paid a lot of money to be right every now and again. Why? Because they can't figure out what's going to happen tomorrow. You know why they can't figure out what's going to happen tomorrow? Because they ain't God. Newsflash, by the way. We don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. Life is complex. There are variables beyond our control. And so how in the world can we plan tomorrow without regard for the will of God in our lives? Did you know if you took 10 pennies, 10 regular pennies out of your pocket? And you lined them up across this pulpit and you wrote on each penny a number, one through ten, so that you'd have one that had one, one that had two, so on and so forth. You stuck those ten pennies in your pocket and you pulled one out and put it back in your pocket and then pulled another out, put it back in your pocket. The odds of you pulling out a one and then a two in succession is one in 100. It would take you approximately 100 attempts to pull out a one and then a two in succession. Did you know that the odds of drawing a one, two, three in succession are one in 1,000? A one through four is one in 10,000, and a one through 10 in succession, I don't know who has time to do this, 
But to get a 1 through 10 in succession is a 1 in 10 billion odds. It would take you 10 billion tries to pull it out of your pocket. If you hit it on the first one, you'd be here 9,999,000,000 more times before you got it done again. If we can't control 10 pennies in our own pocket, how in the world can we dream to control all the complexities of the environment that we live in and all the complexities of the people that interact around us and the circumstances that go on around us? And so it's silly to plan without regard for the will of God because the only thing that is going to be constant is the will of God. The things we plan are going to be affected by the circumstances. And so to plan those things is is foolish because we're ignorant, but it's also foolish because we're fragile. Look at the end of verse 14. What is your life? It is even a vapor. It appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Your life is so fleeting in regards to this existence that James here compares it to a vapor that appears and is gone away. Literally, that phrase, one close way to kind of explain it, as it's getting colder outside, we should be able to relate. You know, you go outside on a cold morning, how many of you go, and you see your breath come out. It looks like smoke. When I was a kid, I used to pretend I was smoking cigarettes because I thought it was cool to go on the way into school. Now I thank God that I couldn't stand the way they tasted. But how long does that vapor last? Right? And then it's gone. That's what James is pointing out to us. Our life is so fragile and so fleeting. It's like that vapor. It's here for a moment, then it's gone. No rhyme or reason to how quickly it it goes away. It's just gone. And that's how our lives are. And if our lives are that fleeting, and we have that little control over the things that go on around us. Who in the world are we to plan our lives apart from the will of God? So the first attitude is one of foolishly ignoring the will of God. The next attitude we're going to look at is the attitude of arrogantly denying the will of God. Look at verse 16 with me. It says, But now you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. Now, this is the attitude of someone not that, that ignores the will of God as if God doesn't exist, but these are people who rather than pretend there is no God, acknowledge that there is a God, but decide that their will is superior to God's will. These are the folks that would say there may be a God, and I'm sure that he has a plan, and I'm sure that God has a purpose, but I am going to do what I want to do anyway. I don't care what the Word of God says. I don't care what the will of God is. I don't care that there is a plan for my life. I don't care that I'm convicted to do these things. What I care about is that I do what I want to do in my life. These are not practical atheists. These are people that make themselves their God. They're essentially self-worshippers. And what does James say about them? He says... 
their attitude of boasting is evil. Now this phrase here, but now you boast in your arrogance. That, that word there could be translated honestly as rejoice as well. But really the idea is one that shouts loudly about something. And so kind of the, the, the phrase that they would use, they would use it usually to, to comment because in the context of the merchant, right? It's how they would talk about the traveling merchant that would, that would go around and pull into town and lay his soapbox out on an elevated platform and he'd shout out, I got the cure for all your ales. Come to the elixir stand and buy your elixir. It's going to fix everything that ails you. We're going to make it even better than we made it before. It's only... $9 a bottle to fix everything. Reminds me of an episode of Andy Griffith where the, the merchant came into town. But you know what the common thread was about those guys that were so arrogantly boasting? The thing they were boasting about was not true. They didn't have the answer. They didn't have the fix. They didn't have anything that was substantiated in their claim. They were merely loudly boasting about what they had, but what they had meant nothing. They were peddling something to accomplish what they claimed it did, knowing that it didn't do anything. And so that's the same way with the one that is brash about the will of God and says, I don't need to do the will of God. I've got it all figured out myself. I'll go my own way. I'll do my own thing. Essentially, what they are doing is peddling something that is not true. It is not true. You cannot operate apart from the will of God and glorify God, and you can't even live in peace as we saw this morning. So first we see the foolish ignoring of the will of God. Second, we looked at the arrogant denying of the will of God. And third, we're going to look at the blatant disobedience of the will of God. Look at verse 17 with me. And therefore to him who knows to do good does not do it. To him, it is sin. These are the people that not only believe there is a God, they not only believe that he has a plan, they not only believe that his plan is sovereign and correct, but they still choose to disobey knowing that God's will in their life is this. How many of us have been in this boat before? They say God's here. He's real. He's sovereign. He's got a plan. I even feel like I know what that plan is. But boy, I'd rather do my own thing. I'd rather, I'd rather go my own way. And James tells us to him, that's sin. Now, this verse has been referred to often to describe the sin of omission. The things that we don't do, even though we know we ought to do. I've even used this verse in talking about evangelizing to a bunch of well-intentioned people before and said, hey, we know we're supposed to go out and fulfill the Great Commission, yet we refuse to share the gospel. We know we're supposed to do it and we don't do it, therefore it's counted to us as sin. And that is an absolutely correct way to look at this verse. But let us not get so caught up in this verse and say that it only references the things that we don't do that we feel like we're supposed to do, but it also references the things that we do when we know we're not supposed to. 
let me slow down. I know I talk quickly. It's not only the things that we don't do when we know we should, the sin of omission, but it's equally the sin of commission, the things that we do even though we know we ought not do them. You say, well, what do you mean, Brother Jason? Well, to him who knows to do good and doesn't do it, that goes both ways. It's not just talking about the things you know you should do. It's equally talking about the things you know you shouldn't. You know what good is, but you choose to do bad. You know what the right decision is, but you choose to go your own way. You choose to go the wrong way. And so if I know the will of God, and I choose to follow my own will and my own desire, then I am sinning. If I know the will of God and I refuse to follow the will of God, then I am sinning and turning from God. And that, in essence, is the definition of pride, isn't it? My way is better than God's way. My plan is better than God's plan. I can do it better than God could plan it. And so how do we know what the will of God is in our lives? I don't know. Maybe he could have wrote us a book or something. Oh, wait a minute. Maybe he did write us a book where he tells us what his will is for our lives. And so ask yourself this question, believer. Am I living my life led by the Spirit Am I growing in holiness, drawing near to God? Am I submitting to the words of Scripture? Am I willing to be persecuted for Christ? Am I following the example that I have in my copy of God's Word? When the Word of God is presented, am I willing to allow it to change my life? Or am I too proud to stand and say, I will stand on my own thoughts and my own convictions rather than heed to the Word of God? And if... You are on this side, unwilling to heed to the word and the will of God. James says, you live in sin. We're quick to point out when somebody does one of those sins, aren't we? When somebody's living in a certain way. When somebody uh, does something that we all look at and, and think it's egregious. When some poor young lady makes a bad decision and ends up having a baby out of wedlock, we're quick to look at them and cast our judgment for what they are or what they aren't. But we're slow to look at ourselves and say, when the Word of God is presented to me and it's contrary to my tradition, I cling to my tradition tighter than I cling to the Word of God. When we're just as sinful as that young lady who made a mistake because we're showing just as much stiff-necked pride and James may very well show us that that pride and that arrogance is more blatantly against the will of God than that young lady. And so we've looked at the negative attitudes towards the will of God. Now in closing, because it's the end of the week, now I want you to have a good week. Let's look at a positive attitude towards the will of God. Look at verse 15 with me. Instead... You ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. So what should we do? If all the other responses are bad, what should your response be to the will of God? Well, if God says it's going to happen, I'll do it. If it's God's will 
that I would go to that town and I would stay there for a year and I would make a profit in buying and selling, then that's where I'll go. But if it's God's will that I stay where I'm at, then I'll stay. It's not really so much the plan, right, that was the problem for the merchant. It was the fact that God wasn't a part of the plan. So this verse is really telling us a simple statement. Well, you have an attitude of pride that says, I'm going to do it my way, how I want to, when I want to. Or will you have a humble attitude that says, God, you are my God, and I will obey you. Because a true believer will make out their plans with the will of God in the center of those plans. And let God's prompting go ahead of all other factors. So before I make my plans, do I feel the conviction that this is God's plan? And that will be the mark of a true believer in their decision making. So James is asking us this tough question as we close tonight. Is God at the center of your plans and the front of your decision making? Is God at the center of your plans? Is he at the front of your decision making? And if not, why? Let us pray. Father God, Lord, we come to you. And God, we thank you for these first four chapters of the book of James that challenge us, that guide us, that cause us to look deep in our soul and ask ourselves, Am I living like I ought to live? Am I living in light of my salvation? Or am I living according to what I was before I knew Christ? And God, specifically tonight as we look at our plans and our attitude towards the will of God and the way we boast arrogantly of what we do or do not know, God, would you stir upon us in our hearts a conviction that we would submit to your will we would do your way, God. And that we would honor you with our lives and not seek to glorify ourselves. God, it's in your precious heavenly name that we pray this evening. Amen. Thanks again for joining in. We sincerely hope that this has blessed you in some way. If you have any further questions, feel free to give us a call or check us out on the web at www.rockyvalleybaptist.org. Thank you and have a blessed day.